Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Yesterday was International Overdose Awareness Day, with many people attending a vigil at the state capitol last night. While Utah's no stranger to opioid and other addictions, we wanted to take a look at what it's like inside the minds of people who are struggling with addiction and how we can help so that we don't face either that uh, downward spiral of destruction uh, or those overdose deaths. Uh, Those are individuals and very few people that I know have not been touched in one way or another uh, by addiction or by an overdose death. And so we're really pleased to have joining us today Bryce Herrera. He's the uh, Psychiatric Program Specialist in Recovery Services at the Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Bryce, thanks for joining us today. Hi, yeah, excited to be on here. Wonderful. So as we as we look at this uh, element of addiction, I, I think it's hard for a lot of people to kind of get their uh, mind inside the mind of someone who's dealing with addiction. Uh, from your study, from your interaction uh, with people at various stages of this a disease. Uh, what is it that we should know uh, about people who are dealing with addiction? Yeah, um, that's a good question. It, it's hard, you know, because I think some of the, uh, you know, kind of the symptom the, the, that comes with it is is often isolation. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of these people feel guilty, feel ashamed. And so sometimes you don't really see them acting or thinking or whatever it is. And, and so, um, a lot of times it's, it's folks that, you know, they're not answering your phone calls. They're not, they're not texting back. Um, they may not be going to work. Um, and so it's really hard to get into the minds of them, but when they come in and see us again, you'll hear that they're, they're really ashamed. They're really, um, you know, they don't feel good about themselves. Um, and, and the substance, the alcohol, whatever it is, is kind of their way of, of dealing with that self-medicating, coping, um, it's it's really devastating on on the the patients that we see. Yeah, and of course we've seen a lot of that uh, exacerbated over the course of the pandemic, where isolation has sort of been the the way many have have lived and functioned. And when you're isolated, alone, and off balance, and if you're already ashamed and not feeling good about yourself, uh, that's that's just a really bad uh, bad space to be in. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, was something we talked about yesterday as it related to overdose, and that is that you do have uh, some who are in addiction uh, that it is, you know, whether that's chasing the, the high or the thrill or, or whether it's the other end of that, a dependence that maybe started after a, a surgery or an injury uh, where they were on uh, opioids or something like that. Is there a difference in terms of how uh, where people end up uh, in that whether it's a dependence addiction cycle and and how we uh, move them out? 
Yeah, again, good question. Um, yeah, it's complicated. You know, I see, I see the gam- you know, across the gambit of, you know, folks who, who, like you said, maybe they had a surgery or maybe they, um, they've been dealing with like a chronic, you know, back issue or something, and they, you know, they're given painkillers basically to treat that. Um, and you know, unfortunately, with those medications, they're they're highly addictive. Um, there's a tolerance factor, and so. You, you know, you typically, you know, need or require a little bit more to feel the effect of that pain relief. And so, you know, as that builds, you know, sometimes that gets more expensive or, or you know, and unfortunately you end up, you know, going to uh, heroin often on the streets. Um, and so we'll see the gamut of, of stuff like that. Um, but we really do, like I said, we, we really see it on a on a spectrum, you know, of, of severe, moderate, mild, um to where some folks don't require necessarily that much intervention. Maybe, you know, one of the things we saw with um, COVID, for example, was, you know, it was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a funny meme. People, oh, we're drinking a little bit more, reading a little bit more, we have more time. And um, so some folks just noticed that their drinking just increased to a level that, um, again, maybe they weren't missing work and it wasn't causing too many issues, but but they, they just need a little bit of help. And so they could talk to someone um, for maybe therapy, but again, across the other side of the spectrum, you got people who require maybe more of a medical intervention. Um, there, there's medications now that we have that can that can help and treat with those sorts of things. Um, there's inpatient detox services that can help with those sorts of things. Um, I mean, it really requires, again, depending on where you land on that spectrum, it requires um, a real team, you know, yeah. and that's what we do here is we have, we have doctors, we have myself as a therapist, we have case managers, um, pharmacies involved. I mean, it really requires the whole team and, and on the, for the, for the patients, I mean, their, their families are usually pretty involved. We try to get them involved as much as possible because, um, it affects them and, and they can really help in the process as well. Yeah. So important. And I, I love the fact that you've talked about this, uh, in the context of a spectrum. Uh, some people I think yeah. may, sense that they're having some problem, as you said, either with just maybe drinking a little too much or or that they are kind of on a path toward a different level of addiction. Uh, but not everyone requires a, a major intervention or, a, you know, an inpatient, you know, 30, 90 day program or whatever. Uh, and just knowing that uh, that you can meet people where they are uh, and then assess what is it that, that they need. Uh, and again, across all of those services, I think take some of the the stress and worry and, and even the stigma out of it of saying, Hey, I, I need some help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'd rather someone be over treated than under treated. Um, but, but at the same time, if you got someone, like I said, who's, who's maybe just drinking a little bit more, having a few more drinks than, than they would like, I guess, you know, um, to throw them into a 30, 60, 90 day program. It's like, Oh, Oh boy. You know, this is over pretty overwhelming. Um, Versus, you know, someone who, again, on that other side of the spectrum who's, you know, requiring an inpatient detox and then they come in or someone says, hey, maybe you just should just see a therapist or start working yeah. out or something. Yeah. It's 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 not going to work. So it's so important that you get assessed by a professional because then we can say, okay, you're right here and this is the this is the recommended and appropriate level of care. Yeah. I just want to ask you one more question before I let you go, and and that is for for so many, you know, that look on and they sense that a loved one, you know, whether it's a spouse or a child or a friend or a colleague, uh, is maybe on that addiction path. 
and they're not quite sure what to do about that or how to approach that. What should what should we know about uh, someone again who's dealing with addiction and how we can best be helpful? Sure. Um, so I think you know the first thing I would say is is just you know trying to bring awareness, educating uh, yourselves. That you know we we ourselves here at the Huntsman Mental Health Institute, we you know we usually just say just call, and, and you know we may not have the answer, um, but we'll we'll find someone who does have the answer. Um, you know, again, yesterday was uh, Overdose Awareness Day. September is um, Recovery um, Month, and so there's a lot of uh, awareness going on. There's a Recovery Day that's called, I think it's September 11th that they do that, and that's through uh, an organization called uh, USARA. It's the you know Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. They're always doing a lot of interesting, um, fun stuff for people in recovery, but again, uh, family members, people, friends of people who have uh, someone they know in recovery. Um, but, you know, in terms of what you can do for, again, like a, maybe a loved one who you think maybe um, um, is struggling, um, I always say just just be a listening ear, um, you know, and, and, you know, I think we we can get, I don't want to say confused, we, I think we have right, we have good intentions and we say, you need help, you need treatment, you need this and that. And again, these people are often very ashamed, you know, they're not they're not necessarily happy with themselves. And so just saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, it, it can kind of traumatize them anymore. And so I always say, just be a listening ear. Yeah. Just, you know, hey, if you need someone to talk to, uh, I'm here for you. Here's my phone number. Here's, you know, text me, things yeah. like that. I think are so, we don't think of them as helpful, but they're so beyond help, more helpful than we can we can know. Wonderful. Bryce Herrera, Psychiatric Program Specialist in Recovery Services at the Huntsman Mental Health Institute. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We're going to step aside for Bottom of the Hour News. Journalist Jane Clayson Johnson was in New York on 9-11. She'll be here to talk about that day almost 20 years ago and give us an update on what the Tabernacle Choir is doing to mark the occasion. Coming up next. Don't miss it. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope and Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.